As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Develop your own model for analyzing properties and understand it and use it to check everyone else's pro formas and assumptions. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. That being said, how you doing? Mark Hayfley doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Joe. Well, nice to have you on the show and looking forward to diving in with you a little bit about Mark. He is a real estate broker and investor at Dreamtown. His focus, I, I just I just caught, got caught up with Dreamtown. I really like that. It's like very aspirational. His focus is on two to 20 unit residential and mixed use properties. He's worked with owner occupants, first time in seasoned investors, as well as deal syndication on large deals and small. He's got his master's degree in accounting based in Chicago, Illinois. That being said, Mark, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? 
Absolutely. So before I was a realtor and an investor, I was first and foremost an accountant. And uh, that's really where I got my basis for understanding in real estate investing and and kind of a knack for the numbers. So I was an accountant for seven years, started in Michigan, and eventually moved to California, stayed an accountant, came back to Chicago, and just really wasn't super excited about the job and what it entailed and just kind of the nine-to-five work situation. And it sounds kind of cliche and cheesy, but I saw flipping shows back in 2006. And something about it really stuck with me, and it took me a long time to act on it. But those experiences and those things I saw on those shows kind of pushed me or helped me become a realtor and to get my license, to save money, quit my job, and also make my first investment. Did you start out fixing and flipping? I actually still haven't fixed and flipped anything, (laughs) to be honest. And that's the funny thing about it because that's what I started thinking I was going to do. But everything I've done so far has been buy and hold. So first investment was a two-unit building. I think they call it house hacking. I lived in one unit and rented the other out, lived for free. All my expenses were covered. And I did that again. Moved out of that one, got another two flat. Did the same thing there for a year. Bought a single family home. Gutted that, renovated it, refinanced, got all my money back from the repairs we made. And the most recent project, which is also my best deal yet, is a mixed-use buy-and-hold value-add project mm-hmm. that I am, and I guess you would call that the BRRR strategy. And we're about kind of, I would say about 75% complete on renovating the units. Two of them are already leased. And based on the initial appraisal and my projections, we are going to get every dollar we put into it right back after we stabilize the building and we get to play again. And just to clarify that acronym, B-R-R-R, that's buy, rehab, rent, and refinance. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. And repeat. And <laughs> the repeat. The last one is repeat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the, I missed one more R. Okay, and repeat. All right. Tried and true strategy of taking that approach and doing the house hacking for your first two unit, then your second two unit, then a single family house. Did you live in that one? Yeah, it became my home and was the purpose of it was to buy a home. And so it really, you know, we never really set out to make money from it or to really profit or build equity, but it just turned out that the deal was really good and it did work out that way. So it was the best of both worlds. Let's talk about this mixed use project. Can you tell us more about it and tell us a story about how you found it and give us some details? Absolutely. So everything I've bought, believe it or not, has been a multiple listing service. And so I haven't personally done any off-market deals. And so this one was on the market. It was August, so it wasn't really a sleepy time. It wasn't winter or anything like that. And the property is a mixed-use property. And so mixed-use usually is a little bit tougher for someone just breaking into real estate to get into And it was a little small for institutional investors and maybe some other people who, you know, have a lot more going on and more experience. So it kind of fell under the radar. It was a really good deal for the market and there was multiple offers, but we definitely made a very strong offer and we did quite a few things to make our offer compelling and we we got the property. What was the asking price? What did you offer and what were the compelling things that you made it more compelling? I believe the listing price was eight units for 565 
where they're easily selling for over 100k a unit in the area. And so what I did was I'm a realtor, so a lot of times when I buy property, I take a commission. In this case, I waived my commission. I offered up to the listing broker both sides of the deal. We did a sliding scale offer where we offered, I think, 5000 more than the highest bidder, up to, I think, 615000 And so we started at 560 I think, which is five under list. And the highest offer ended up being only like 565 so we only had to pay 570 but we were willing to pay around 610 And so that sliding scale offer allowed us to only pay five more than the closest bidder. Well, that takes all the guesswork out of it. That's amazing. I've never heard of a sliding scale offer. I'm sure I should have heard of it, but I haven't. How do you do that? Do you just tell the listing broker, I want to go 5000 more than whatever the highest bid is up to 615000 Something like that. So you add an addendum. So whatever your state contract has for initialing or executing an addendum, you make sure you execute that and you call it addendum A. And I think it's typically called a floating price addendum. So that's what we had, a floating price addendum. It can backfire. It's In a way, it's kind of cheating. It's totally legal, but someone might see that and say, well, hey, that's not fair, you know. (laughs) So if you have the wrong seller or the wrong person on the other end, they may say, well, I don't want to give it to them, you know. They're kind of cheating the system. And so it could backfire. But if it's a commercial transaction, I don't really think emotions are involved. So it worked for us. And I think it's the reason we got the deal and the reason why we didn't overpay for it either. Wouldn't the seller knowing that they have that 600 and what was it 615 or 610 that you would go up to 610 I believe it was 610 All yeah. right we'll, it we'll was, call it 610 significantly more All right so wouldn't they just grab a friend and say hey <laughs> do me a solid put in an offer for 605,000 that way I have that on record and then this group because they were going to get it for 565 or whatever you got it for, that this is going to help me get $40,000 more. And there's part of the risk. So you hit the nail on the head. That's another one of the risks. It's possible that they could have done that or someone could do that. Obviously, in the contract, it requests them to prove they have another offer. And we would request to see the offer to prove that Mm -hmm. they have something that high. And Certainly, if the broker and or seller was mischievous, they could potentially do that. And so that's a great point. There is risk to that. But it worked. (laughs) It it does work. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon to see this. In in Chicago, it's not uncommon that there are a lot of multiple offers for properties over here. So it's something that came out of creativity of people just losing deals left and right. If you're willing to pay five or 10 more and a little bit more than the next guy, then it's the perfect way to get a deal done if it still makes sense at five, 10, 15, 20 more. A lot of times it still will make sense. All right. And remind me again, how much did you end up paying for it? I think we paid 572, if, I'm, if I'm correct. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh-oh. And could've, I interrupted you. Paid 610. <laughs> Keep on rolling. Okay. You, you bought it for 572. And so then we use a commercial lender. Commercial lender is financing all of the rehab work. We have 25% equity into the property. 
And we are currently on an interest-only loan until we stabilize the interest-only loan was escrowed. And we did complete and rent two of the units out at, I think, $50 more per month than projected. And we have four units being delivered for March 1st. And uh, the two commercial storefronts, we are in a very long process with the zoning department of Chicago to change the zoning for residential use. Oh, you're turning the storefronts into apartments? Yeah, ground level. One's going to be a studio. One's going to be a one-bedroom unit. And just the, the location where it is isn't really super desirable for retail. And so... It's kind of the trend on the street to turn those ground-level storefronts that are vacant into apartments. So, so far, so good. It's just kind of pushing paper through the city of Chicago. It's a long time. Why doesn't it work for retail if there's apartments around there? That means there's people. So that, in theory, could be good for business. So why doesn't it work? In my opinion, it is not really a foot traffic area and there's no parking. So there's really no parking. The building has no parking. There's no parking spots anywhere nearby. And so if someone wanted to go and use that business, it's adding a lot of density to the area mm-hmm. and the neighbors would complain. Mm-hmm. They already are complaining. <laughs> <laughs> they're complaining about a vacant storefront or they're complaining about, hey, don't ever fill this with a business because we don't want to deal with the traffic. Exactly. So we went to the community meeting. We told them we wanted to add apartments and they were complaining that there would be more cars in the street. There's already no parking. And we said, well, if you don't (laughs) want apartments, then we'll make it a, you know, we'll make it a convenience store or a coffee shop. And they're like, oh, wait, hold on. Starbucks. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) And so then that was it. You know, that showed us that residential was favorable to the community. It's favorable to us. And the units have been vacant for seven years or more. So I'm not too excited about the prospects of finding someone. And the zoning, we've been down zoned to zoning that's really for single family. And so it really doesn't allow us to put anything in there. So we actually need a zoning change no matter what, even if we were going to put a retail tenant in there. Will you elaborate on that, what you mean by, did you say down zoned? Yes, I'm not an expert on this. I know a few things, so I'll I'll talk from what I know. In the city of Chicago, we have aldermen, and aldermen are in charge of ward areas throughout Chicago. And in many wards, property that on certain streets where potentially units go vacant or where aldermen have a different vision for that community, they will somehow change the zoning at some point in time and many times it's a zoning that doesn't make sense for what's existing. So there used to be a bar there. Since it's been vacant for more than, I think, 18 months, a bar may no longer is allowed to go in there without some extraordinary events happening. And sure, we'd love to put a bar in there, but we can't. There's really no way around it. And so at some point, these were zoned commercial or mixed use, and this street was rezoned, or this part of the street, was downzoned or to a less dense use, where essentially the actual zoning allows one unit. Can you believe that? Wow. I think actually maybe two or three legal units based on the square footage per unit ratio that this zoning code allows. Mm-hmm. 
And so what will happen is the alderman now controls what happens with this property. And so now that I want to do something, I have to go to him to seek his blessing and make sure he agrees and the community agrees with what I want to do with my own property. Wow. What ward are you in? I'd have to look it up. I don't know the ward number. Okay. But uh, the area is the Avondale area of Chicago. Yeah, I was curious because I haven't come across the term alderman before. And so I Googled Chicago alderman and it pulled up the wards, wards 1 through 50 in Chicago. And it says served by alderman Carrie Austin or Carlos Ramirez Rosa or you know whoever else. So I was just trying to educate myself while we're talking to understand aldermans. So <laughs> you've got a couple challenges. And do you think that's why it was on the market and on the MLS? I think the reason why it was a good deal and why maybe there wasn't more offers was because I think seasoned investors would realize all the things that we know now, which is the zoning change takes a long time. The building had a lot of deferred maintenance quite a bit, and they were looking at it for retail use. They knew they would have to get a zoning change and or a zoning variance, and so that's part of the reason why the price was so low. But for us, it just makes a ton of sense. If you look at it long-term, the first year, obviously, a loss. But once the building is stabilized, and if we have a long hold period in mind, and we're getting all of our investment capital back once we've rented all the units, it just makes a ton of sense. And so it's so far so good. With only two units rented, with an interest-only loan, we've covered our all of our expenses, and we're not bleeding any cash. So it's been really good for us. You've mentioned we. Who's we? I have a business partner on this deal. It was a little bit too big for me to go alone. So we pooled our resources and, and went in together. How do you divvy up responsibility and who puts how much money into it? For this one, we decided that we would go 50-50. And the 50-50 was equity and then also responsibility. So cash into the deal is equal. And the responsibility can't be equal, of course, because there's varying things that happen and someone's going to have more than the other. But generally, it's pretty close. And so my responsibility is the construction management and working with the general contractors, going to the property and checking on progress, listing the units, running the units. And then my partner's responsibility is management from once everything's stabilized, He's going to manage the property. He's going to deal with all the tenant phone calls, hire maintenance techs, and I do all the accounting. Since I'm an accountant, I, you know, I'm doing all the accounting. And I also am somewhat handy, so I am going out to the property and fixing certain things here and there as needed. Wow. Yeah, so you're getting punched really hard in the face at the beginning, and he's getting punched lightly but continuously over a long period of time as the manager. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, I, you know, I'll forget after a while all the stuff I went through, and I think we'll throw it into a management company eventually, which is totally fine with me. It's been a great learning experience. And, I mean, I remember telling him, like, we're going to learn everything in this deal. We're going to learn zoning. We're going to learn dealing with the aldermen. We're going to learn rehabbing. We're going to learn dealing with contractors. We're going to learn about evictions. We're going to learn about roaches, mice, and rats, and just everything. So this deal had a little bit of everything, and we're much better from it. Fascinating deal. I'm glad that you shared that with us. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? 
My best investing advice ever would certainly be develop your own model for analyzing properties and understand it and use it to check everyone else's pro formas and assumptions. And the reason I say that is because if you develop it, you will easily understand it. You'll know what goes in, what comes out, and you'll trust it. So I think it's really important to do the numbers yourself, even if you have someone that's really good with them. You should double-check it. And in the end, you should be making investments and offers based on your information that you believe and that you've checked. When you compare your model to other models you've come across, what's one difference that you see yours has that others don't? More expense. So I've noticed that uh, a lot of times when you get something from a commercial broker that represents the seller, expenses are omitted, or maybe some expenses that you know you have that other people might not. They wouldn't know that, and so that's not in there. So you need to know how you operate your business and what your expenses are, and you need to include them. You can't just take someone's pro forma and just think it's gold. So that's the biggest thing. We need to check the rents. If there's rent assumptions for market rents or, or anything like that, you need to come up with your own rents and see if they match. And, uh, you know, if they don't match, you can always ask the, the broker and see if they can justify it. But I can't tell you how many times I've looked at some of those, you know, they'll say, oh, this is a, a 10 cap. And you do some quick math and you're like, wow, that's a seven cap. <laughs> oh my God, that's a big difference. <laughs> so you just got to be careful. Know how to do this stuff yourself and understand how to run these numbers and what your numbers are. They're not going to be the same as everyone else's. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it first, though. A quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read. The best ever book I read was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Do I employ any of those strategies? Not really, but I think it was just really fun to fantasize about <laughs> being able to work four hours a week and still have plenty of money and, and be able to enjoy life to its fullest. It's ambitious, and I think it helped me realize that you don't have to be involved in the details all the time. You need to find ways to delegate and trust other people and leverage their expertise and experience. Tim's podcast is one of three podcasts that I subscribe to. 
I also subscribe to Unplugged, which is Theo Hicks's podcast. He's a co-author of the book series with me. And then I have to subscribe to mine just to make sure the episode gets published correctly. But Tim's, I spend a lot of time with Tim's podcast. I've learned so much from that. Best ever deal you've done. The best ever deal I've done is my current deal that we kind of discussed. If everything's right, which I think it will shake out that way, we will put money in. We will have refinanced, got all of our money back, have a cash flowing property with a stabilized cap rate of over 9% in an area where the average is 7 and then we can go again. We can do it again. Never have I ever put money into a building where I got it back so quickly. Usually you buy a buy and hold and slowly cash flows and that money kind of is in the property. So this is just amazing. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought this would be possible. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? I think my biggest mistake was not ramping up faster. My first investment was 2009, and I think my second one was in 2012. And from 2009 to 2012, that was like in Chicago, that was an amazing time to buy, and property was super cheap. And if I was just more driven or more aware, I could have scaled up really fast. And so that was probably my biggest mistake in real estate was not finding ways to do more deals when the market was at its lowest. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? Give me a call. 773-809-3569. I'm always willing to talk about real estate and meet new people. And is chicagoreinvestment.com a website to reach you as well? Absolutely. If you want to go on my website, see what I've done, see some of my sales, learn more about me, please go to my website. ChicagoReinvestment.com. Well, I think this was the conversation about the mixed-use property. I love digging in on a case study that's living and breathing and has multiple variables involved, not a cookie-cutter deal by any means, and there's going to be a lot of value that you're adding to that project. Sounds like that's right within your sweet spot for the type of deals you look for. So thanks for walking us through that entire deal, as well as talking about how you did the house hacking leading up to the mixed-use deal, how you are structuring your partnership with your friend, and uh, lessons learned along the way. So hope you have a best-ever day. Grateful that we had a conversation today, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Joe. Great talking to you, and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Best-ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th, the conference, the best-ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person and people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference they want to meet you in person go to besteverconference.com